Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's the 28th of September and on this day in Christian history, we go back to the year 1586 and we travel to Rome, where a large pink granite obelisk known as the Witness was moved to its present location in St. Peter's Square by order of Pope Sixtus V. At over 25 metres high, it's the second largest standing obelisk in Rome after the one at the Lateran. And in all, there are eight Egyptian obelisks standing in Rome, meaning that there are more erect obelisks from Egypt in Rome than anywhere else in the world, including Egypt. They were all brought to Rome by various Roman emperors, and the one currently in St. Peter's Square, sometimes it's called the Vatican Obelisk or Caligula's Obelisk, and it's the only ancient Egyptian obelisk in Rome to have remained standing since Roman times. It comes from Heliopolis in Egypt, where it was built by the pharaoh Menkares in 1835 BC in honour of the sun. For Egyptians, the obelisk was a solar symbol that represented a vital flow from heaven and earth and a way of communicating to the divine The obelisk was brought to Rome in 37 BC by the Emperor Caligula on a ship filled with lentils to prevent any damage and it was erected in the circus that he built. The obelisk was originally erected in the gardens that Caligula had inherited from his mother but he then put it on the central spina of a circus that he was building that was completed during Nero's reign. It was called Nero's Circus, and here it was the silent witness of the martyrdom of St. Peter and of many other Christians. Pliny the Elder wrote about it in his Naturalis Historia, and the idea to move it was due to the Pope's desire to recover and re-erect all the obelisks lying then in the ruins of Rome. For more about how the various popes shaped the city of Rome, see the podcast of May the 27th. After the voyage, the ship was filled with Pozzolana and sunk, so as to be used as the base for the left pier of Claudius's harbour at the mouth of the Tiber. Given the challenges presented by moving the obelisk, several projects were submitted and considered by the Pope, until Sixtus entrusted the job to his favourite architect, Domenico Fontana, who presented a wooden model containing a lead grid and a replica of the obelisk, which could be easily lowered and raised. His project met with the Pope's approval, and so on the 30th of April, transport was begun after a solid foundation had been built to support the obelisk in the centre of the square. With a total height, including the base and the cross at the top of 40 metres, its relocation was engineered by Fontana with the help of his brother Giovanni, and it took four months. It was erected by 900 men, using 140 horses and 44 winches, in an operation fraught with difficulty 
and nearly ending in disaster when the ropes holding the obelisk began to smoke due to the friction. As a pagan monument in a great Christian square, the Pope said now it is a symbol of humanity reaching out to Christ. Originally inscribed and dedicated to various emperors, Divine Augustus and then Divine Tiberius, it is now dedicated to the Holy Cross and has these words inscribed on it. Christus vincit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. Christus ab omni malo plebem suam defendat. Christ is the victor, Christ is king, Christ is the ruler. And may Christ defend his people from all evil. Legend had it that the original metal globe that was placed at the top of the obelisk held the ashes of Julius Caesar. And during the reciting of the obelisk, the globe was opened and found to be empty. The globe can now be seen in the Museo dei Conservatori. It is now topped by a bronze cross containing a fragment of the true cross. And an anonymous painting in the Museum of Rome illustrating a Corpus Christi procession shows St Peter's Square with the obelisk already in place before the colonnades were built. It is often referred to as the witness, as many Christians would have been martyred for their faith in its shadow. What do we know about the latter years of Peter's life and ministry? Peter was the most prominent figure in the Jerusalem church up until the time of his departure from Jerusalem. At this point, the unchallenged leadership of Peter in Jerusalem came to an end. James took over. It is not at all clear where Peter went, but it is not probable that the words to another place referred to a different home in the same general area that would provide temporary refuge. And we know that Paul went up to Jerusalem to consult with Peter three years after he was converted. And he remained with Peter for two weeks, as we can see in the letter to the Galatians. When Peter left Jerusalem, however, it appears clear to many New Testament scholars, although unconvincing to some others, that he assumed a missionary role, while the actual leadership of the church devolved upon James, the brother of the Lord. This sequence of authority is suggested by Peter's obedience to the wishes of certain people who came from James, and hence his ceasing to eat with Gentile Christians at Antioch, which is accounted for in the book of Galatians. And when certain persons came from James and opposed the united congregation's custom of eating together, in apparent deference to James, Peter drew back and began to hold aloof, and the Jewish Christians did likewise. The unity of the group had been destroyed. When Paul returned, he upbraided Peter for what he may have considered Peter's vacillation. And this led to the first council of the church, the Jerusalem Council, in the year 49 or 50, in which it was settled that thereafter, Paul should be entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, and Peter for the mission to the circumcised. 
However, we have less clear historical record of the martyrdom of Peter and the burial, with an absence of any reference in Acts or Romans to the, even the residence of Peter in Rome. If Peter was the author of the New Testament letters 1 Peter, the mention of Babylon in chapter 5 is fairly reliable evidence that Peter resided at some time in the capital city. And since the end of the first century, there's been a strong tradition that Peter had lived in Rome. Further early evidence for this tradition is found in the letter to the Romans by Ignatius of Antioch, the early second century bishop of Antioch. Words in the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, clearly refer to the death of Peter and are cast into the literary form of prophecy. You will a rope will be put round your waist and you will be taken where you do not want to go. However, the strongest evidence that Peter was martyred in Rome is to be found in the letter of Saint Clement of Rome to the Corinthians, which was written around the year 96. Peter, who by reason of wicked jealousy, not only once or twice, but frequently endured suffering and thus bearing his witness, went to the glorious place which he merited. And to these men, Peter and Paul, who lived such holy lives, there was joined a great multitude of the elect who by reason of rivalry were victims of many outrages and tortures and who became outstanding examples among us. There is now a scholarly consensus to accept Rome as the location of the martyrdom of Peter and the time at the reign of Nero. Where was he buried? In the early 4th century, the Emperor Constantine, with considerable difficulty, erected a basilica on the Vatican Hill. The difficulty of this task on a hill rather than the nearby level ground may support the contention that the Emperor was convinced that the relics of Peter rested beneath a small edicula, a shrine for a small statue over which he had erected the basilica. See the podcast of April the 18th for more on St. Peter's Basilica. The excavation of this site, which lies far beneath now the high altar of the present church of St. Peter, was begun in 1939, and the problems encountered in excavation were extremely complex. However, there are some scholars that are convinced that a box found in one of the very late side walls of the edicula contains fragments of the remains of the apostle. That's all from the Pelagate Price today. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow if you can as we look at Leo the Great, Attila the Hun and the Manichaeans. To make our archive easier to access, we've started to group our podcasts into themes. So if you visit www.pogp.net, the third group is on art and architecture and it's going up this week from Gaudi to Washington National Cathedral. If you'd like to give any feedback, you can email us on pogppod at gmail.com. And if you have time, please subscribe and share the podcast with friends. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for today's music. And thank you to you for listening, whatever you are. 